On the block, on demand. Do you hear that? What is that? What is that? Yeah, what is that? The holder, Riley Dixon, and the kicker, Cole Murphy. Spot is down. The kick by Murphy is up and in. And orange uniforms pour out onto the field. Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 games this year. Taramina steps up. He shoots. He scores! Matt Taramina in overtime. Syracuse wins 2-1. to one. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. The fields make me wanna. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Here is your host. A bad feeling about the Brent Axe. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. And everything in between. We're so glad you're here. So glad I'm here. Wasn't here for the start of the show, but I'm here now. Glad to have you here. Or perhaps you're listening in the future sometime, because we do put this on iTunes and Google Play. Just subscribe to ESPN Syracuse and receive daily podcasts of this program, The Daniel Baldwin Show, In the Booth, and Orange Nation. Coming to you on your iTunes, on demand, listen on your time. Here's a guy in touch with the program, 437-7644. Brent Axe Media on Twitter, the text line is 2880644. We'll talk primarily Syracuse basketball here, maybe hit on a couple of other things as we go through this hour. I had some great calls last hour. I wouldn't say LeVar Ball as a subject would equal a great phone call, but when our guy Stephen Norris Syracuse brings it up in the intelligent way that he does, brought up an inter- interesting conversation. Another interesting conversation we had via the phones was with our friend Jody Ambrosio, the play-by-play voice of the Yukon Huskies and It was really interesting to get Joe's perspective on where UConn is now. Not just as a basketball team, 6-2, and heading into this game against Syracuse at Madison Square Garden tonight, but Joe was very honest about where UConn is as an athletic department, as an athletic venture, if you will, with football and basketball and the main things, and where they are now since these teams have real separation since the ACC raided, took Syracuse, took in Pitt, UConn tried to get in a Power 5 conference and really tried to work its way into you know a better situation than they're in now when the old Big East dissolved, and we all know that story. And you know, Joe was pretty upfront about the travels pretty bad for the, air quotes, student-athletes and for play-by-play guys once in a while. And you know the athletic department needs money, and they're not getting the big TV dollars that certainly you get in a, in a Power 5 like Syracuse does. The nostalgia of Syracuse and UConn getting together. He expects plenty of UConn fans there tonight, as we would expect plenty of Syracuse fans there tonight. And this is when ESPN empties the vault, man. Eric Devendorf, six overtime game shot, six overtime game highlights. Ray Allen, back to the old Syracuse days of all those Syracuse-UConn matchups at the Big East Tournament. I mean, bring them all out, man. Rip Hamilton, Emeka Okafor, Jake Voskel. I mean, empty the vault. You could really construct, and if I thought of this earlier, we, we should have done this, a really fun drinking game based on what ESPN's going to pull out of the vault tonight. Syracuse, UConn, Madison Square Garden, a place where they met a year ago, and it was an unwatchable basketball game. Nobody could hit a shot in that game, and you had somebody who had not played the entire night step in and hit two free throws, because free throws matter, kids, to sink Syracuse's battleship and win that game 52-50. to So I would hope we would get a more entertaining game 
tonight than that one. And Joe gave us some great insight about this UConn team. Look, they have played two back-to-back overtime games against Columbia and Monmouth. UConn had its doors blown off a couple games back here against Arkansas. 102-67. 102-67. That was at the Phil Knight tournament, the PK-80, as they called it. I mean, the bottom fell out on UConn that night. They also lost to Michigan State in the PK-80. And that was not a close game either. They lost by 20 to Tom Izzo's Michigan State Spartans that night. So it seems when UConn has had to take a step forward in competition, it has not gone well for them, but then they get Columbia and Monmouth, and they've had back-to-back overtime games. So clearly, this is a team that, as much as you want to say Syracuse needs this win in their back pocket for non-conference purposes, and they do, we want to see how Syracuse responds tonight after a loss. We want to see how Syracuse responds being a young team, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed in Madison Square Garden, because we're used to it, Jim Beheim is used to it, but a lot of these players are not used to it. Tyus Battle and Frank Howard are, but Merrick Dolzhai has not played at Madison Square Garden. O'Shea Brissett has not played at Madison Square Garden. O'Shea Brissett is a player who admits he still gets nervous. Was nervous to come out and play his first exhibition game at the Carrier Dome. So how does he respond to being under the bright lights? And Howard Washington Jr. with his bigger role coming off the bench as the only guard coming off the bench now. And Pascal Chukwu getting a shot. And Barama Sadaibi. It's a different game. That's why you've got to have these experiences. And that's why these preseason tournaments, whatever one you're involved in this year, and it was the Hoopal Classic last year, just a scheduled game like this, the variance of experience that you have to give these guys in pre-conference play, I think Syracuse had a perfect balance of it this year, a perfect balance of games that they can work on their game and teams they should beat. They got one Saturday coming up with Colgate on the slate. But you've got to get some experience in there. You've got to challenge these teams. You've got to appease the selection committee down the road. You've got to appease the Ken Palm ratings and the strength of schedule. And uh, Seth brought it up earlier, and I'll circle back on this because I read this today, and it's a great piece. Our friend Andy Katz, who's now, uh, he basically works for the NCAA now, writes a lot of content, does stuff for their website, wrote a great piece about how important road wins are and kind of broke down the importance of, you know, strength of schedule and, and conference play. And this is not technically a road game, as I'm sure Dick Vitale will remind us, oh, Syracuse only had to drive four hours to be here. Yeah, well, UConn only had to drive like 45 minutes. So I hope he doesn't go down that road, right? But you want these experiences. Because it tests your team. There's a lot of things Jim Beheim does not know. Syracuse went right from Kansas, well, from Miami after playing Kansas, to New York City. They did not come home and circle back, even though it's a pretty short trip. They went right from Miami to New York City. So they've been there. They've been settled for a day or two. And let's go. Giddy up. I'm as curious as anybody to see how this team responds tonight. And I brought up a couple of these things on yesterday's show. I brought it up with Joe last hour. If you want to listen to that interview, I would encourage you to. We've, still, we've got plenty of time before the game. <sighs> yes, old man rant. It's a 9.30 tip. Yes, I know it says 9 o'clock, but you and I both know 
This thing ain't starting until 9.30. By the way, really surprised, not that ESPN couldn't do this with their mighty television scheduling powers. The other game tonight in at the Garden is Villanova and Gonzaga. That's the better game. That's two top 12 teams right now. That's the primetime game. Isn't that the game you want to put at 930? You know, guys, it's not too late. You realized your mistake. We're all here. Hey, listen, that's the better game. Ranked teams. Rating would be better if it was later at night. You guys mind if we just kind of switch this around here? Because Grandpa would certainly love it if Syracuse played at 7 instead of, because we all know it says 9. That thing ain't tipping until 920, 930. And my better guess is 930. So they can structure it for TV better. Anyway, grandpa moment there. One way or the other, I am surprised that's the way it, it, it panned out because it's a great game. Villanova Gonzaga. But Syracuse Yukon got the primetime slot. So there's another thing. It's one of those games, just like Kansas and to an extent Maryland, because it was the ACC Big Ten Challenge. For the most part, when people have just been flipping around, if you're just watching sports on a random Tuesday night, and what's on ESPN? Well, college basketball is on ESPN. Oh, Syracuse is on. Syracuse has had a pretty good showing, even though Kansas was in control of that game for the most part. Syracuse never really seriously threatened to win that game, but they were down 21 points. And even with Frank Howard in foul trouble, even with Tyus Battle struggling in the first half, and Syracuse generally struggling in the first half, they cut that game to nine. They had a respectable showing, but anybody that watched that game said, okay, Devontae Graham is just having an unbelievable night. The Maryland game last week, when Syracuse, it was a terrific back-and-forth college basketball game. Saturday was a competitive game, and then tonight is going to be no short of emotion and competitiveness. And Look, Syracuse needs this, but Connecticut really needs it. And it's one of those games, I hate to be Mr. Cliche here, but when you get a rivalry and the emotion of it and – Two teams that know each other, the programs that know each other. It's not Calhoun against Bayheim, But when these two get together, we get close games. Last year was not a good game, but it was a close game. Nobody could hit a shot in that thing. The battle for Atlantis was a great back-and-forth game. So for the most part, when Syracuse and Connecticut get together, if it's at Madison Square Garden, if it's at the Carrier Dome, if it's at Gamble Pavilion, if it's in a court in the middle of a, a resort in the Bahamas, you're going to get great basketball, and you're going to get a rivalry renewed. And, look, we can walk down Nostalgia Lane all we want. I love that these games get scheduled because the season is, is long enough. You can slot in these games and still play enough games to get your team ready for conference play. It's interesting. The networks love it. It's great programming because – I brought it up earlier how ESPN can just empty out the vault of all the old Syracuse, Connecticut, Big East highlights. Dickie V can wax, uh, wax nostalgic about the good old days. And, you know, you got to fill programming. You got to fill time. For ESPN, they love that they can kind of schedule out these ACC Big Ten challenges. And then the next week, it's Jimmy V week. And then the next week, it's something else. And then the next week, it's something else. Okay, then it's conference play. Now it's rivalry week. And it's. You know, it's it's just part of what they do, and that's fine. I'm all for it. The fact that we are in a stretch where Syracuse's third game was Maryland, that game was here. Saturday, not that 
Miami was a desired college basketball location. It was just kind of this tournament they got involved in. But playing Kansas this time of the year, now you get this rivalry renewed, giddy up. And it's only going to make the team better, too. So I want to discuss that a little bit more on the other side here. Some things to look out for in this game in particular, some things that Connecticut may or may not be able to take advantage of, and some things that Syracuse needs to start to find tonight at the Garden. 437-7644 is the number to get on board. Hit the text line at 288-0644 as well. You are on the block. ESPN Radio, back after this. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. This Rick rolling through another Tuesday. Welcome back. Let's get right back to the phone, shall we? we got Syracuse and UConn tonight, my friends. 437-7644 is the number. we got Ted on the line. Now, Ted, I see you are in Pittsburgh. How are things in the Steel City tonight? Uh, fantastic. It looks like it might want, uh, be one of those years when uh, SU actually dominates Pittsburgh. That's <laughs> always a good thing, right? Yeah, Pitt's, Pitt's in a weird spot right now. Kevin Stallings and, boy, like, it's hard enough for them to, you know, as you know well, being there, bubble up above the Penguins and the Steelers. But when Pitt basketball stinks, does anybody even know they exist? That's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's difficult. Stallings has a talk show every Tuesday, I believe, and he's just he's trying very hard to kind of instill will in this program and kind of bring the excitement back, but it's a, it's a tough task. So, Ted, how are you listening to us? On the app, online, or, or what are you doing? Yeah, on, the, on the app. On awesome. the app, I try, to, I try to listen every afternoon Fantastic. Uh, when I was finishing up at the office. And then I just ran to Costco, so I, so I thought I'd give you a call. What'd you get um, at Costco? You, what's that? What'd you get at Costco? Uh, what do you think? Toilet paper and uh, paper towels. <laughs> That's the only thing you get at Costco, right? And maybe some Christmas <laughs> lights these days, right? Fantastic. The occasional slice of pizza and the impulse Under Armour uh, over pullover. <laughs> What do you think on but, uh, the on the game tonight, my friend? Hey, I just wanted to ask you what you think the over under is on uh, which random UConn player is going to go off on Syracuse tonight. Well, the chances are pretty good that you know if you had to pick one, it's probably going to be Adams. That would be my guess for thinking. tonight. And three games in a row, Ted, somebody's done it. It was obviously Devonte Graham went crazy for Kansas, and it was Kevin Herter for Maryland, and even Toledo. Uh, let's see, Treshawn Fletcher had five three-pointers. So Syracuse has really had trouble in the last few games keying in on somebody who's getting open on that zone and tossing shots over the zone. So it's either Jalen Adams or Terry Larrier. That would be my guess tonight. And Syracuse didn't see Larrier last year, so they've really got to keep track of him tonight. All right, well, thanks. Yeah, book. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I really hope that Howard and Battle can figure out how to stop getting all those offensive foul calls. And I'll hang up and listen to what you have to say, sir. Ted, appreciate you checking in from Pittsburgh, my friend, and uh, just off a Costco run. Do we really need all this mayonnaise? You can't let me go to Costco because I just come home with all this stuff and then you find it in the basement four months later and it's like, maybe I didn't need this whole box of fruit snacks. Uh, Let's go from Pittsburgh to Tampa, Florida. We're international today or maybe just domestic, but we're all over the country today. My man Marty's in Tampa listening on the block. Marty, what's happening? Hey, Brent, talk about um, like TV dictating times. I went to the uh, game Saturday in Miami, and Kansas and uh, Syracuse were the first game, and there was a decent crowd there, you know, maybe 8,000. Now that Miami was playing in the ACC championship game after that, I everybody 
emptied out of there. There was there must have been five hundred people, and they were all <laughs> Syracuse and Kansas fans watching the game. And by the end of the game, I left with five minutes to go. With my brother, I bet you there was about hundred and fifty people left there. That's about, incredible. That's and so incredible. why didn't they switch the time of that game? Put the Syracuse Kansas game at eight, and let Miami the Miami fans whatever watch their game and then go watch ACC championship, but. It was a joke. There's high school games that had more people than that second game the other night. They could and they should have, especially when Miami ended up in the ACC title game for football. You want some fans to watch their team there, and it's it's easy to flip. It's you know, I mean, you got to get the coach's approval and everything, but you know, it's a matter of you know, can you play two hours earlier? I don't think anybody really would have been opposed to that, and. You know, uh, tonight, if I'm ESPN, I want Villanova-Gonzaga in the prime spot. Not that Syracuse-UConn won't draw an audience, but that's a team, that's two top 12 teams going at it tonight, and that means I get to bet earlier. Everybody wins. And half of the audience is Gonzaga, and, you know, that's like a bad time for them. It's, what, 4 o'clock in the afternoon out there? People aren't going to be able to watch that game if you're a Gonzaga That's another great point. Yeah. If I'm in Seattle, I want to watch my team, and watching my team at 6 o'clock in the afternoon out there is is not exactly ideal. So, Or at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Pardon me. You're right. So it's it's crazy, but it's all dictated. They figured they have a bigger audience for the Syracuse-Kansas game at 530, so they kept it there, I'm sure. Marty, uh, appreciate the call. Appreciate the thoughts from Tampa. Always uh, welcome to check in. All right. We hit Pittsburgh. We hit Florida. Let me hear from my Seattle listeners now. It's that ESPN app, kids. It's a beautiful thing. You can listen anywhere. The beauty of modern technology. People want to keep it on the orange. And, and I brought up that analogy earlier in the show about people that have had to move on from central New York. And, you know, sometimes that's fortunate. Sometimes it's unfortunate. Sometimes people get opportunities elsewhere, family or jobs, whatever the case may be. But on a big uh, SU game night, they want to keep tapped in with what's happening. That's what the app's for. So download the app, hit the Listen tab, find ESPN Syracuse, and away you go. It's a beautiful thing, and it's easy to do. We'll break on that note. We'll come back with more on this game tonight. Syracuse, UConn, at the Garden at 930. Back after this. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. You are On the Block ESPN Radio. Let's head right to the phone, shall we? We've got Syracuse in Connecticut tonight, 437-7644 to join the Pate. Dom in Syracuse on the block. Hey, Dom. Hey, Brent. I'll tell you what, that last um, segment was really, really interesting in terms of um, and not, not not talking about tonight's game. Tonight's game is interesting in its own right. But to see where UConn is nowadays, uh, it, it's really um, – we were – I saw us as equals in the Big East. They were – we were 1-1A. One one um, yeah, they got that last Chinsey National Championship with uh, Kemba Walker, but um, we won't talk about that one. <laughs> but I think it'd be interesting. This might be a good place for you to, a, a good piece for you to write on Syracuse.com. After five years, we're five years removed from the Big East. Where are these teams? How are they faring? We know how Syracuse and Pitt are doing. How is UConn doing? How is Cincy doing? You know, having a conversation with, what's his name, the basketball coach at Cincy, uh, Cronin? McCronin, right. Well, he's fighting with the coach at Xavier. I don't know if you saw that the other day, but they were going I, at it I, in the I, press conference. It, and we see the highlights, the game highlights on ESPN. But the day-to-day living, the reason UConn is going to flying out November, or December 23rd is because they have to. They have to for exposure's sake. You know what I mean? It's not... Their situation, it, 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 they have to do that. 
Um, I think it'd be interesting to see, you know, where is, what's the, the play-by-play guys at West Virginia? What's their take on it? They've got a ton of travel. Is the Big Ten working for them? I think there's a lot of meat to this story. It'd be interesting to hear where the schools are now, five years removed from the Big East. Dom, I love the idea. It's something to look at. I can't believe it has been five years, and it has. And, you know, that's why I wanted to ask Joe about it. And Joe was very honest in his response, and thanks for the call and the idea, Dom. Joe, even as a play-by-play guy, will tell it like it is. You could sense the frustration in his voice. He knows about the limitations of it. He says they're struggling financially. The fans aren't buying in, and when they get most excited, it's when things like this come up, nostalgia, when they play Syracuse or when they can play in that Phil Knight tournament or and when they get to conference play, it's almost a letdown. And this is why when these conversations come up, and there's still holdouts out there of people that say that Syracuse should not be in the ACC, I mean, I get nostalgia and I get where they were and, and how good that feels, but this kind of reminds me of, like, there's a lot of people that are from depressed areas of the country, and unfortunately you can qualify Syracuse as that in a lot of ways, and they know they have to go somewhere else to seek employment. They yearn for the days when Syracuse or Cleveland, Ohio, or Rust Belt cities, wherever it is, Buffalo, and Buffalo's having a great revival, and don't get me wrong, I'll defend Syracuse to the death, but there are certain places that You just can't do what you do for a living. You have to go to Charlotte. You have to go south. And that's why there's so many displanted people from the Northeast that are in, you know, the Sunbelt places of the world now. And they yearn for the old days, but they know they can't go back because it doesn't make any sense for them for quality of life, for financial reasons, whatever the case may be. This is what it reminds me of. We knew Syracuse had to go to the ACC if you wanted to be in the big boys in college sports. And now, they're getting upwards of 25 to $30 million just by being a member of a conference. They made it. They're on the other side. Whereas UConn is sitting here in the American Athletic Conference, and they have no identity to what they once were. And they tried. UConn, has, if they would take an invite to any Power 5 slash, you know, however you want to phrase it, and college hoops, there's a couple more conferences you could throw in there. But let's use Power 5 as an example. They would do it tomorrow. It could be the Pac-12, which makes no regional sense, but they would do it. I'm just, you know, spitballing. Here's an example. But the that's what we're looking at here, the haves and the have-nots. And, you know, when that came down a few years ago, as much as we kind of bemoaned it, I think we quickly learned why it had to happen. As much as it doesn't make sense some ways and why these games against Georgetown and Connecticut tonight and St. John's, Gives you that old rush of nostalgia, but it also reminds you of where you are. About Stephen North Syracuse. He's up next here on the block. Hey, Steve. Uh, I think you just invented a new word, uh, displanted. I'd never heard that There you word. go. I, I just made it up. Yeah, you're, you're very creative <laughs> that way. And I, I also agree that I bemoan the fact that we don't have a Northeastern Conference to represent this area of the country, and all these teams have had to attach themselves the conferences that are really based in other areas of the country. But that's a, that's a whole other subject. What I wanted to, to talk about was this news conference with uh, LeVar Ball and his son D'Angelo, who he's pulling out of UCLA. Uh, I thought, it was, you know, you're, 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 you're kind of a, an expert on how to phrase questions at news conferences. You, you do a lot of teaching about that. And at, at one point, uh, uh, LeVar said that they were going for one and done for Leangelo, and hey, Leangelo 
uh, has been suspended for two to three months. And Leangelo said, that's the whole season pretty much. That's just a long time of doing nothing. I'd rather be playing. And my follow-up question would be, well, couldn't you be studying? And uh, uh, I'm wondering if you think that question would be impertinent, or if, is there a better way to ask that? Or? No, that's the perfect question, because sail you on about the ball, Steve, the ball family and Leandro. <laughs> they sure do, that's, that's for sure. They are who they are, and they make no mistake about it. They do not pretend to be anything but what they are, and that continues to get them coverage and continues to get them invited on you know every show that's got a camera and a light to shine on them. I saw people were complaining this morning, and thanks for the call, Zoe, Steve. Yes, I did invent that word, displanted. I didn't even realize I said that. Displaced It's probably uh, the better word to use there. But the thing with the VAR ball and LiAngelo ball, and there's like two of them more to come, and LaMelo, and, you know, I'm losing track of who's where. LiAngelo LaVar made it pretty clear he's here to play basketball. He is not here to be a student athlete. So I appreciate that honesty. Because that would be a good question to ask, Steve, but, you know, we would have got an honest answer to that. You think I'm here to study? And now LeVar is going to take LiAngelo and try and grow the pro ball route, and people are going out of their way, including Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, who tweeted a couple of things yesterday, including, quote, he's not on any of our scouting lists, even the extended lists, one GM told Woj about LiAngelo. But LiAngelo will end up playing basketball somewhere and will get paid for it because of the attention that his family has earned. Now, maybe there'll be a backlash. Maybe at some point, somebody is going to say enough of this. You're all hype. You're all bluster. You're, you're not what you say you are, even though, you know, one of the balls at the very least with the Lakers looks like he's going to develop into, you know, a hell of a player, but he's always going to have this albatross on him. He's always going to have his dad lingering out there. And you see this, what, you know, that leads us to a side subject. So, the Lakers are now enforcing what can only be known now as the LeVar Ball rule. So basically there's like this area where the families go, the families of the players, and it's kind of like their own area. And, you know, it's been kind of an unwritten thing that the media can go there and talk to, to members of the family. And it's a good place for sources and kind of getting to know people. And they're great outlets. They're great, you know, I'll tell you, you know, speaking of teaching classes, you want a great resource to get information? Families. I mean, that's just generally in life, not just sports. But, you know, Nate Mink wrote a great piece last week about Eric Dungy getting surgery. He got that from Eric Dungy's family. You know, I don't want to teach a course on the air here, but sometimes you have to go where the story is. And quite often the story is where the family is. And LeVar Ball holds court every night. No matter where he is, he's at the point where... Knowing how honest he is, how arrogant he is, how how much bluster he blows, he makes no bones about who he is. The media now seeks him out. That's a media problem. LeVar Ball, if you have a problem with LeVar, LiAngelo, or, you know, add them all up, this is one of those things where you can point directly at the media and say it is, and I, I don't want to be held under the same umbrella as other people here, but if you want to be one of those people that says that's the media's fault, in this case, you're 100% right. 
Because we keep putting these people in front of cameras and sticking microphones in their face and seeking their opinions on things. And then they go to China and cause an international incident. And the president of the United States is going back and forth with LeVar. And now it's just a bleep show, right? Whose fault is that? That is our fault. That is the media's fault. 100%. Because the minute they walk away from this, LeVar Ball loses his oxygen. But we keep feeding him and we keep helping him breathe. That's a media problem. 100%. But... I don't even know if that was the original intent from Steve's question there. It was about being a student athlete. Let me go back to where I will give the Ball family a shred of credit. They are who they are. They put it out there. They don't pretend to be anything what they are. Same thing. People get so upset about the Kardashians, right? It's not the problem of the Kardashians are ruining society. It's that people emulate what they do. They look up to them. They have a television show. It doesn't mean you have to watch it. But people do, they consume it, and the Kardashians are millionaires because of it. So who is that a reflection of? Them or us as a society? And boy, I'm really getting philosophical on the show today, but I just, and I probably fall in this trap in certain things too, but we point fingers at certain people and they're the problem. No, they're not the problem. Quite often we're the problem because we consume it, but the ball thing, that we are the problem. There is no reason to keep going to this guy. Now, in this case, it was news. His son left the team. That's news. You've got to cover that. Why? There, I think we knew why, but it it all blurs. The problem is it all blurs together. Sometimes you're just having LeVar Ball on CNN or First Take or whatever show just to let LeVar Ball say something stupid and off we go. Sometimes they do actually make news that's worthy of covering, but the lines are so blurred now that you can't tell the difference. LiAngelo Ball leaving UCLA, that's news. In light of the Chinese incident, in light of why and, and was it a result of them, I mean, that's actually that's news. you you got to cover that. But nine out of ten times, what LeVar Ball says and does and his latest thing and his latest business venture and everything he gets all this free publicity for – it's not worth our time. Yet I just spent the last eight minutes on it. Thanks, Steve. But, you know, Steve always brings an intelligent take on things. So when I saw on my screen here that Steve wanted to talk about LeVar Ball, I was as curious as anybody. 437-7644, Brent Dax Media on Twitter. The text line is 2880644. We do have to get to another break. We will come back more on Syracuse and UConn tonight. That Steelers-Bengals game last night. So much came out of that, and again, a lot of people are pointing fingers at football, and this is the problem, and that's the problem, and I'm sitting back last night, and what I have to say about that game may not be politically correct, but we'll get to that later. How about that for a tease? Plus, they've got the three, we now know who will win the Heisman Trophy between three names. Boy, you know, that that Baker Mayfield, I, he's he's one heck of a football player. i just got to say that. I'm not allowed to tell you who I vote for for the Heisman. I do have a Heisman vote, but they're all fine football players. One time I thought Lamar Jackson was a really, really good football player. Maybe better than Baker Mayfield, but I, I think Baker Mayfield might be a better football player than Lamar Jackson. Just, ge- just generally speaking here, not having to do anything with any certain awards or anything. I'm just saying, like, if you were going to rank the two, 
in some sort of thing officially in a capacity that may be announced publicly later this week. Hypothetically, I may. I better stop talking now. Back after this. Thank you. Bye-bye.